Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. the Vatican being more open about the subject, at least by their standards. Hello, and welcome to the 315th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, and tonight's guest, my dad. So this is the second show in our two-part series on possession and exorcism. But before we get to our very serious topic this evening, it's time once again for our weekly paranormal contest. Last week's question was, what is a common sense word for a close encounter of the fourth kind? Well, lots of people answered that one correctly, but Lisa McGrath from Hayes, Kansas, who says she is a new listener, was the first with the one-word answer, abduction. I don't know. Simple, that one. I, I digress a little bit. I don't know why I said common sense word. Anyway, um, <laughs> this... <laughs> yeah, it's common sense. You're getting abducted. All right. Um, <laughs> this week's question isn't so easy. In what year was a photograph taken of an alleged alien above the Arctic Circle in northern Sweden? Well, anybody knows that. Oh, yeah, common sense. Yeah, uh, right. And get that right, and win a copy of Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny by tonight's guest, my dad. So on our topic, or on to our topic, rather. Last week, we talked about the the history of belief in demonic possession, and my dad told us about some of his experiences, especially while researching voodoo in Haiti and while working in psych- psychiatric hospitals while studying for the priesthood. He also talked about some of the or some of the ten exorcisms he participated in. Uh, was it five? Was it like four of which were on the same person, or was it six? Three of, three of which three, were on the same three. person. Three, three, sorry. For some reason, I thought it was an even number. Um, this week, he'll get into what he really thinks is behind all this, and the idea that possession is becoming more common. So, Dad, can you give us a quick summary of what you said last week? Uh, sure, yeah, we talked about how common the idea of humans uniting with spirits has been throughout the history of religion, and I used the uh, the rather disconcerting example of watching people get taken over by loas, as they're called, during a voodoo ceremony in Haiti in 1984. It certainly was a confirmation of uh, our idea of parasites using people's energy as food sources. I also mentioned that three of the ten exorcisms I witnessed, as you, as you just said, in hospital environments were performed on the same person who never seemed completely cured. Uh, also, I talked about the standards that were used to judge whether someone was possessed or just mentally disturbed, and among these being phenomena taking place near the person over which they could have no physical control, uh, drastic changes in personality, impossible physical strength, and knowledge of things they couldn't possibly know. We also talked about a common theme on many of our shows, how parasites throughout human history seem to have pretended to be gods and literally taken over whole tribes and communities, using people's egos against them. Uh, you expanded on that idea uh, from a shaman's point of view. Uh, I also said my, how about my ideas about this started to expand uh, way beyond what I assumed based on my seminary training uh, as the years went by. So looking back on it, what kind of entities do you think you were dealing with in these possession cases? Well, that's the big question. Uh, working on subsequent cases over the years, I believe that we were what we were calling demonic possession is simply 
the most extreme form of entanglement a human being can have with what we call a parasite today, a non-human life form that lives by feeding on other life forms from parallel worlds, sometimes more than one at a time that it is able to access. And we've seen that in several cases, Mm. uh, one of which we're working on right now. Uh, Because the people writing the books, at least for the last few thousand years, haven't been too swift on the uptake when it comes to quantum physics, multiple worlds theory, or even exobiology in the true sense of the word, we conceive of these parasites only in terms of folklore, because that's the only way we know how to grasp the concept. Instead of immediate realities or threats uh, that can walk right behind us, our families or even our nations, parasites entered folklore as vampires, The ancients called them life-sucking ghosts, uh, evil spirits, demons, servants of the devil. Uh, We made it fit our own limited vision of reality because that's the only way we could understand it. Mm. Um, I don't even believe they are spirits in the in the true sense of the word as you know non-corporeal beings because I've actually had physical struggles with them on two occasions as we've mentioned during the show at at times. Uh, But since they usually don't enter our world completely but rather take advantage of where worlds overlap, a very common occurrence actually, we see them, if at all, through the electromagnetic boundaries of these worlds, almost like through a translucent curtain. So we see them as misty or gauzy or just dark forms, like in the house in, in Bridgeport, Connecticut, 1974. Yeah. Uh, you can see four gauzy kind of structures moving down this little hallway into this very small house into the living room, and then I ended up in this sort of physical struggle. It threw the little girl across the room, and that we're dealing with. Uh, you, know, you could see what the other three were doing. I was, I was kind of occupied, but there was a reporter there and uh, members of the family and uh, a neighbor who all witnessed this. But anyway, uh, and there is evidence that they see us the same way, although we apparently are much more appetizing. But make no mistake, from my contact with parasites, and you know this firsthand yourself, Ben, uh, they are alien life forms, and whatever term you want to, any way you want to interpret that, uh, they come through in roughly nine different species. Uh, their general presence to me has always come across as completely neutral, uncaring, or the best word I think I can think of is sterile, sterile or sterile, just you know, almost without feeling, uh, very non-human. It's it's really not not a clean feeling at all, strangely enough. As are many creatures in nature, though, they are excellent mimics. They, you know, like these, these <coughs> bugs that look like sticks and they walk along and they fool their prey, you know, they, they, they can catch their prey because the prey think they're sticks. And that's mimicking in nature. That's a very common thing. And these things do it too because they're part of nature as well. Mm. They can convince you uh, that they're a lot more than sticks. They can convince you that they are a dead relative, uh, an enlightened master, an alien emissary who's full of love for humanity an angel, or even a god, or even the god. While it's certainly possible to encounter one of these things in your life, I certainly hope we all encounter God, certainly at some point, the real one, uh, it takes good sense and good discernment to tell what is going on in the multiverse, whether you're really dealing with what you think you're dealing with, and that's the big thing. And as you said, if it starts feeding your ego, watch out. And that's what happens, I think, a lot of times, and we'll get into that later. But we as a species are very aware of parasites, but we don't understand what they really are. So we put them in fairy tales. And even when they literally drop into our lives in an unmistakable way, as in poltergeist activity or possession cases, we still use folklore remedies to try and get rid of them. So how does possession occur? 
Well, uh, that's a really complicated question, and it's, it's, it was problematic for me, certainly in the beginning, as I watched these things occur. Uh, most commonly, you can trace the whole process uh, of the uh, for, for, from an initial contact, so to speak, between the victim and, and the parasite, often through that person's involvement in some occult practice, especially Ouija boards. Now, it's too bad last night on our CBS edition, we didn't get into that issue of Ouija boards and, and, and uh, seances with Dr. Andrew We could always have him back. Well, we're going to have him back. Make, make, that, make that. that the center instead Absolutely, of, I don't yeah, even know yeah. what we started talking about. You can't about. do much in an hour. No, no. Anyway, um, the Ouija boards are a real problem, and uh, I can only call the what happens bonding between the parasite and the victim. In 1998, I actually had a case with a female victim, and this is right over here in, in, uh, in uh, the area of Pasco, Rhode Island, near where we broadcast. Uh, the female victim was writing love poems to the parasite. The thing had convinced her that it was a disgruntled lover from a former life. Now, fortunately, that situation was dealt with before it resulted in any kind of possession or anything of that kind. And there are degrees of possession. We'll begin to that a little bit later on. It's not always this overt kind of a, of a situation. But again, that's not always how it happens. Sometimes the process can result in poltergeist activity and not possession. I strongly suspect that this depends on the kind of parasite involved. Uh, they all seem attracted to human negative energy, but different species seem to feed on it in different ways. And possession can be one result. As to what the nature of possession actually is, this is where it gets really weird. First, a parasite can't just waltz in and take over someone's personality and body. I believe the victim has to, in some way, give some sort of approval, uh, no matter how small, for this to occur. And th this, is, this is enshrined in folklore, even. I always use the example of, of the, the story Dracula by Bram Stoker and, and uh, Jonathan Harker from London, the real estate guy is standing in front of Castle Dracula, and the good count comes to the door and says uh, very, very clearly to him, if you enter, enter of your own free will. So he's giving his tacit approval to whatever's going to happen to him. Yeah. I mean, at least that's how it well, comes Well, that happens in a lot of other vampire movies, too, like in um, Nosferatu, that happens, too. Oh, is that right? I've never yeah. seen Nosferatu, believe yeah. it or not. Really? Well, sorry. Yeah, well, well, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to watch it sometime. But No, but the point being that, that this gets carried over into folklore. So much of folklore is based on something that really happened and something that's real, and it has, uh, it's picked up baggage over the years. That we, as I say, we, we, we mythologize it. But the idea that you have to... Um, be kind of an approval of what's happening uh, is is there. Now, certainly, that's not hard to believe when the victim is devoted to the Ouija board or has Saturday night seance parties. Uh, they're ringing the dinner bell for parasites by the very nature of what they're doing. So that's not hard. As with uh, any other predator in nature, parasites prey on whoever in a group is most vulnerable. You know, you see the the wolves going after the caribou up north. I mean, they'll always take down the, the, the sick ones or the ones that are the slowest, and that's kind of nature's way of ensuring, the, the supposedly ensuring the healthier, the survival of the healthier species. And in, a, in the same way, parasites are predators. They go after the most vulnerable. I've seen situations where the parents were good-for-nothing drunks, no discernible love in the household, and the older brother was, old, was out selling drugs. But the young girl of 12, and this is, this is a real case I worked with, had a good heart, managed to maintain a sense of right and wrong, despite the odds against her. But she was the one in the family who ended up, at, the, at least at the time, judged to have been possessed. She's the one who got the brunt of it. Uh, 
she was vulnerable. All the evil around her, no guidance, a house with no love in it. She was very confused and very frightened. This is not the one that was that we had to do three times. Uh, she had no friends, either because people thought her family was unsavory or, and this eventually led to the exorcism, weird things started to happen pretty much wherever she went, even at school. Uh, we were told that she would walk into a room and the whole place would shake at times. Now, again, this is northern New York State where there's, there's a, a, a lot of serious seismic fault lines. Oh, yeah. We could never, I could never coordinate anything seismic with what was going on with this. Anyway, pictures would fall off the wall, things would fly off shelves, little kids would scream because they said they saw dark shadows moving around the girl, and all the, and again, I wasn't making the decisions here. Had I been doing so and had I known what I think I know now, this wouldn't have happened this way, but she ended up being exorcised. Anyway, push came to shove, the exorcism seemed relatively uneventful, but successful. She ended up in a foster home, and I never heard any more about it. Then there are other cases where it doesn't seem fair either. I mean, looking back on it, I'm not sure she was actually possessed in that case, but another phenomenon that is much more common, uh, demonic or parasitic oppression. I think that might have been the case. Oppression is when they kind of come after you, they pick on you and feed off you, but actually possessing you does not occur. Uh, possessing of your faculties or whatever uh, they, they believed at the time did occur. Now, it's hard to see the tacit approval of any kind of possession I've been referring to when the victim is a young person who apparently seems entirely innocent. Now, I've heard of cases where a messed up parent has actually cursed a child and some serious parasitical consequences have occurred. If you can imagine wait, wait, that happening. Wait, you, you mean like a curse, like I'm going to put a curse on you? Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of uh, ethnic groups around the world that still do that kind of thing. What? Not not very commonly, but I I, I actually was. Is this a Disney movie? What is this? No, well, uh, well, well, no. This, these things happen, Ben. You know, the, the kid. You know, is is, is uh, the person, the parent is is a jerk in the first place, has no positive uh, force in their own life. And the, the the kid may be doing something they consider wrong, or is a pain in the neck, or is eating too much, or something. And they, they, they sometimes have been known to curse the child. Very often they'll regret it. Uh, I ran, yeah. you know, where I ran into that. I, I ran into it in Haiti when I was in Haiti, and the voodoo priest was telling me all about it, and I got confirmation from the Roman Catholic priest. Uh, okay, and that's that where I heard sense. about that. But I've heard several uh, on several occasions, second and third hand, that that has occurred, and it has resulted in, in a lot of. Parasitical complications, even even possession, as unfair as that may seem. Yeah, uh, belief is a power, powerful thing. Oh, yes, it is. Well, you, you know what, uh, not to digress, but you know what, what the uh, the elder, uh, uh, Aboriginal elder in Australia told me, the one I had that long conversation with that, that sort of confirmed a lot of the multiverse ideas that I have today. He said, the cur- you, you know what, you know why you never point your finger at somebody? Why not? It's an ancient, ancient belief that when you're pointing your finger... Or what they call pointing the bone. They sometimes will point a bone if they're putting a curse. It's, oh, it's, yeah, an, like it's, an, it's an ancient belief that that can, can transfer negative energy to you. So that's why it's considered impolite, even in our society, to point your finger. Oh, 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 here, since we're talking about fun facts, you know why <laughs> we carry, carry our dead out of churches feet first? And why they well, nailed out, and why they, like, drill coffins? Oh, no, they do carry priests out feet first, too. Okay. Yeah, it's... Right. It's because it's an ancient practice dating from the ancient Norse and other ancient tribes that they they thought that they would come back to life and zombies and stuff, and they didn't want the zombie to see where they were coming from, so they took them out took them out of their houses feet first, and we still do that today. 
Well, I didn't know that. I, yep. I, just, I looked at the zombie phenomenon when I was in Haiti as well. We'll have to do a show on that. Zombies. Yeah. We can read the zombie survival guide. Well, you look around the streets these days, sometimes you wonder. Oh, yes. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, and, that, oh, and also the, the Aboriginal elder said, the, the curses only work if you believe in them. Mm. He knew that. You know. And But people have any kind of belief, again, a, approval here, a belief, then bingo, you can have all kinds of problems. Turn, turns into Merlin's mystical shop of wonders. Well, I don't know, but, well, he didn't say that, but no. anyway. No. Uh, but there are also cases in which parasites seem to follow families for generations. Uh, the next generation mm. literally seems to inherit the parasite, whether they appear to deserve it or not. I suspect this may be the situation in a case in England that you and I are now consulting on, the one in Manchester. Oh, yeah. correct. Uh, and, on, and that could involve possession. You've got three generations of people involved in this, and we're only just beginning to look into it, and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, but I've run into that on a number of occasions. The funny thing with some of these parasites, we've mentioned this on the show before, especially, particularly with the case of uh, the one we call X, the, the well-known artist in New York City. See, uh, These... Species that are sort of lower shelf kind mm. of bargain variety species of these parasites mm. will at times seem to forget their own origins when they are attached to a human being for a long time or, or where they, they spend a lot of time partially or, or, or completely in, in our own world, our own part of the multiverse, See. and away from their own. So they are, I've noticed that they're at times very afraid. There was one exorcism in particular where it was a, a sort of a low species, and I remember it was it was terrified, uh, not of what we were saying, but I, I get the impression, but, but because it didn't know where to go, it didn't know what to do, and it didn't want to admit it. That's just, but I've run into that time and again. Um, it's like a teenager. Yeah, some they, some of them act like children. They're two dimensional thinkers, <laughs> and they just they don't remember where they came from. Mm. You know, and uh, the, some of that came out a little bit in the. Um, Bell Witch case in Tennessee in uh, 1817, 1821, where the thing was um, running around the county giving agricultural advice, but was almost a, it couldn't remember its own origins. It said that it had been, when people would ask it, a lot of people would ask, well, who are you, what are you doing here? And it, it, it would say it, it had Native American connections and had been in the area for centuries, but it couldn't remember anything else. It or they, there were four of them, couldn't really remember anything else, or at least so it said. And sure enough, uh, in that area before had been uh, the mound builders, as we call them today. We don't know much about them. Probably maybe related to the Aztecs or the Incas. But well, they, they did human north. sacrifice. They did human sacrifice. Yeah. So what, 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 what's going to feed parasites more than that? What gave them the idea of human sacrifice? Probably the parasite. What, what else would? Yeah, yeah. No religion of love does that, thank you very much. Well, the Aztecs thought that blood ran the universe. Yeah, I'm just saying. Blood makes the world. That, that, that's yeah. they, they 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 thought like that the gods were like, oh, we need your blood to uh, keep things moving. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, getting back to possession here, sometimes the worst cases can come from a really devout family, and that really threw me. Uh, that happened in the Bridgeport Poltergeist Affair of 1974. Now, again, this never got to possession. It was just a poltergeist outbreak. Uh, but we often talk about that case on the show. I just mentioned it. The appearance of a full-blown possession case in these situations is very rare, but could have roots in two factors I've noticed when it comes to families that are very devout. Now, first, I've seen a number of parasite victims, especially younger ones, whether victims of poltergeists or even possession, who in one way or another actually enjoy the attention. 
Even in devout families, children can feel ignored. The little girl in the Bridgeport case uh, had a devout Catholic family, uh, but they smothered her with overprotection and isolation. To have also, she had no siblings. Uh, to have all sorts of important people in the house, including network journalists in that case, was a real treat. And she told me so in so many words. Of course, the parasites got a certain amount of mileage out of that attention as well, because they fed off that uh, as well as the, the kid did. Yeah. And this girl, I, I don't think <coughs> I ever saw her in three days in this house of stuff flying around. I don't think I ever saw her really afraid. Once or twice she did, but generally she seemed to, she seemed to kind of enjoy it. That's not really healthy. No, absolutely not. So in a way, uh, this could have led to something even worse, tacit approval. We sat around... Because, again, this is 74. I didn't know what I think I know now, as I say. We were sitting around, Ed Lorraine Warren and myself and Father Bill Charbonneau, waiting for the Diocese of Bridgeport to approve an exorcism. As we said last week, the Roman Catholic Church has that very institutionalized, ritualized, you can't do it without a bishop's permission. I don't know about today. Maybe they've lightened up a little. But in those days, it was really, the the publicity was bad. Everything everything was was bad about this, and they never did give permission. Mm. Uh Whereas, like the Orthodox and everybody else, a little, little lighter on that. I mean, a priest can use his own judgment. Wait, are there Orthodox exorcisms? Sure. But I've never heard of them. Well, they don't have a big book with a ritual in it like, like that for that. But uh, Well, we, we can perhaps get into that. Maybe we have Father Anthony uh, back sometime. He's one of our uh, sort of Orthodox consultant. Okay. And uh, so he has to say. Or, you know, nobody so we, really talks about that. Well, you try to keep a positive atmosphere so you don't have to talk about it. Yeah, that is true. But the trouble in the seminary, priests uh, are not trained. People think priests know about this. They don't. Certain ones, and we'll get into that in a minute, how the Vatican is supposedly now training more priests to to handle this sort of stuff because it's on the increase. But uh, as a rule, your general garden variety parish priest, whether Orthodox or Roman Catholic, doesn't know about this. Mm. Nor does your, your local minister. Or even rabbi. Although rabbis, uh, I find they tend to be a little more. Sometimes they're more theologically mature. Imams, I don't know. Most of them won't talk to me. Uh, we have we have Muslims <laughs> write in to the uh, to the show sometimes saying, "Oh, this, this really uh, makes sense." Can can you know like what what we believe similar things about jinns and all this business? I want to have a show on jinns, but I can't get an imam to talk to me. Yeah, and there, there are cultural maybe reasons for that, but I'd like to, if anybody's listening who happens to be an imam or a Muslim expert on, on jinns, please get in touch with us. I'd love to have you on the show. Yes. Anyway, uh, they feed off this too. Now, a second factor, and I don't mean to be unduly harsh over this, is that some Christian spiritualities, including the old-time Roman Catholic paradigm, could be very, very negative, you know, based entirely on fear rather than love. And uh, my brother was a, well, was a uh, well-known theologian and a Catholic priest, and he would say sometimes that to uh, people in our own family, you know, they would ask him questions because they, they'd grown up with Irish Jansenism or some kind of really strange, ultra-conservative thing. And he'd say, you know, religion cannot be based on fear. It's got to be based on love. And, uh, you know, bravo for that. It's true. So you, you have a, these people in uh, Bridgeport, uh, if, if I may say, as uh, much as you can judge, had a very old-time kind of negative, fearful spirituality. And that's because that sure didn't do much to help the parasite situation. So anyway, I was brought up to believe that if you ate a hot dog on Friday, you'd go to hell. Right? I mean, for Pete's sake, 
But anyway, parasites feed on fear. So maybe that's part of the problem when families appear to be very devout and still have these issues. I always feel bad. Like, everybody bashes Catholics all the time. Well, I mean to bash anybody. I, no, I I'm not saying you're, I'm not saying that's where I learned yeah. to love God. I'm not, I'm, not ba- I'm not saying you're bashing. I'm just saying, like, everyone else is like, Well, I'm standing there. I was, I'm a student for the Catholic priest, and I'm watching th- th- these, these devout people with pictures of Jesus and the Virgin Mary all over the wall, and the pictures are being torn off the wall and thrown into a pile but by some force you can't see. People are screaming, and uh, the priest is waiting for permission to do something. I mean, it, was, it really was, was surreal and, and didn't make any logical sense about why these people were being permitted to go through. Anyway, but obviously in ensuing years, I've come to different conclusions. But I mean, I just say that, that's, that, that's the, the, the paradigm I'm speaking from. That's what I saw, and uh, it didn't make any sense. All right. Most Nobody people, helped these. Most people just are like, I don't like Catholics. But anyway, so... I love Catholics. Why? You went to all Catholic schools. What are you talking about? No, like I, I've just talked to a lot of people that are like, oh, oh yeah, a lot of Catholics. people are very... Well, if you look at some of these... A so-called atheists. I don't believe in atheists. They, they say they don't believe in God. I don't believe in them. Uh, most of them are, are kind of sad. They have access to grind mostly with the Roman Catholic Church, and I don't think that's fair. No, no, it's not. You know, your, your, your faith and your religion, what you make of it. Yep. You know, and, and Roman Catholicism and any religion you can name just about works for many, many people, and that deserves respect. Yeah. So. Right. Well, we're back, gonna, back back to this. Uh, that, we're going to take a break. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, just kidding. <laughs> okay, so hold that thought, as they say on the radio. And uh, so we're going to take a break here. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and com in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Stay with us. Hi, this is Romeo Berthi. I'm inviting you to join me every Saturday morning from 6 to 9 for the Saturday Show. This all-request program includes music, news, sports, weather, and all sorts of community announcements. And what a great way to start your weekend. Join me this Saturday morning. And wanted to remind you that this show is brought to you by our wonderful friends at Amazon Kindle at Amazon.com and Staples and other places will sell this device to you. And of course, this is in uh, the Amazon Kindle Reader and the Amazon Kindle Fire, uh, which has just been released uh, last November. And we want to encourage you to check this out. You can get all sorts of marvelous books, newspapers, magazines. And uh, now with the, with the Kindle Fire apps, all in color, movies, TV shows, anything you want. And it's uh, all in one uh, handheld device that is uh, easy to use and attractive to look at. And you can also get, of course, four of my books uh, over Amazon Kindle, Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic. The, um, Of course, the one we talk about tonight, which is our gift for our contest winner, uh, Turning Home, God, Ghost, and Human Destiny. And certainly, Rhode Island, A Genial History, sort of in a different vein. And uh, check it out, Amazon Kindle. Uh, again, you can get it at Staples and a number of other places, and also <laughs> online, Amazon.com. So check it out, Amazon Kindle, Amazon Kindle Fire. Okay, and we are back behind the paranormal. We're continuing our discussion. Uh, this is the second show in our two-part series on possession and exorcism, a topic that has attracted a lot of attention lately and has, send, uh, has prompted listeners to send in a lot of questions. Um, so, uh, Ben, did you want to continue here? Yeah, so after all that being said, none of this seems really fair. No, it it doesn't seem fair. But remember, 
ultimately these creatures and their activities are part of nature like anything else. Like, if okay, suppose you get, I remember this happened to you, you got stung by a bee one time, and you came in the house, and, and probably the last thing on your mind was, you know, sitting there and sulking because you didn't deserve it. Or if one of us has a mosquito, suck his blood. I mean, we don't worry about, gee, we didn't deserve this. It's not fair. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, maybe it's not, but you don't think of that. So uh, think of it that way when it comes even to these parasites. I mean, that's Get attacked a lo- by a cat. I deserve this. <laughs> well, because people don't know our cat. Um, that's the way nature happens to be in our part of the multiverse. You were in the wrong place at the wrong time. You often were when you were little. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in trees and everything. Gosh, if I told people where, where some of the places I found you. Anyway, circumstances were against you and the, in favor of the mosquito or the bee or the parasite. Uh, what you don't want to do is ask for trouble by using things like Ouija boards. That's the same thing as walking straight up to a hornet's nest and sticking your fist through it. All right. <laughs> that's, that's such a funny way of putting it. So... If this is all just nat- natural, where do God and exorcism fit into it? Well, that's a good question, too. Uh, because just as parasites are attracted by negative energy, hatred, division, fear, anger, so they are repelled by positive energy, unity, faith, compassion, good humor, and especially love. Exorcism based on religious faith work if they are based on God as the ultimate positive energy. Love personified. That's why negative spirituality or religion based on fear may have created some of the problems instead of solving them, as we said. Mm, yeah, that is true. But the exorcisms that were part of my seminary experience, unofficially, uh, were always approached as battles in which the authority of the church to cast out demons, and the Bible says it gives the authority, uh, through Jesus Christ, was uh, used to forcibly separate demon and victim. It was always considered the last resort, of course. But as I said in the last show, that didn't always work. Over the years since then, I've come to think of exorcism as an especially intense concentration of positive energy, most of all love, by a number of people aimed at cutting off the parasite's food source, negative energy. It requires the active and sincere participation of everybody involved in the case, especially the victim's family. While traditional exorcism doesn't always work, I've never seen love fail. So you pointed out on, on the show numerous times that plenty of families that do all sorts of negative things, they don't always end up with parasites or possessed kids. Well, yeah, well, in days of yore, I mean, that always made me wonder. I said, how come certain people have this and certain people don't? But uh, you have to remember that for any of these extreme paranormal events to occur, a number of ducks, as we say, have to be lined up in the right order. Uh, I suspect that without us creating really negative situations, parasites have limited control over where they access our world. It could be easiest for them in places where worlds often overlap because of the electromagnetics or geotechnics of the site. This actually has a lot to do with this. In places like that, you're also likely to have UFO activity, ghosts, cryptids, all these things we call paranormal. But when we deliberately punch holes in the membranes that constitute world boundaries, as we say, by using Ouija boards, seances, or other sledgehammer tactics, parasites come running. So, in possession, does the parasite actually take over a person? Well, that was the ultimate question I wondered about. I've, I've never been convinced that's how it works. <laughs> um, in every case I've seen, the victim's will is not completely subverted, and the parasite or demon is not in complete control. 
I would call it a melding of personalities, much as we see in dissociative identity disorder or the multiple personality thing. Now, here's what I believe is the key to the whole business, and it's the weirdest concept of all for most people to grasp. We're always talking about our concept on the show here of the unity, as we call it, um, Ubuntu, as the African culture might call it, uh, how the whole multiverse, this infinite community of interactive worlds that contains all possibilities and all possible versions of us, is shot through with the same energy we call life. This life is shared, and it manifests an infinite variety apparently to the absolute delight of God. He seems to love all kinds of variations of things. Each of us is part of that variety, but we are at the same time completely united to each other, even organically. In the same way, we are united to all other living things, and indeed all other things. We've often cited examples of, on the show of how people have vivid and beautiful realizations of the lives they're living uh, in other parts of the multiverse. Like we talked to Todd Banks, who was on the show, uh, an ordinary listener who really got into that and had some beautiful stories to tell us. Uh, often they realize that they are, in concrete fact and in every way, other people or other creatures, often in other worlds. Now, as real as this is, there are some minds that cannot handle this yet, not evolved enough, perhaps, maybe. And they end up in an unbalanced state, literally bouncing between lives that neither have they nor their doctors might realize are absolutely real. A perfect example is, as we said, multiple personality disorder. Now, I actually was in psychiatric hospitals and dealt with some of these people. They would speak with different voices. I once heard a woman speak with a male voice because she was in her personality as a driver for where the well, at the time was the REA Express. It was, a, you know, a precursor to FedEx. <laughs> You know, I mean, you had to see it to believe it. Here That's it pretty is. crazy stuff. And here's the key, again. I believe to the possession mystery. The unity of life within the multiverse is indiscriminate. At some point, somewhere or somewhere, we and the parasites are also one. From what I've seen, what we call possession is the manifestation of where we and a given parasite or parasites share a common life. All right? This... This is, I think, what we're seeing when we see possession. The parasite's personality might manifest. The victim's personality might manifest, or both at the same time might. Possession is a manifestation of a person's already existing identity with one of these alien enemies. Right? We're all one among ourselves, but this, as I say, it's indiscriminate, and I think, I think that's what we're seeing. How do the parasites get involved? Well, because they, they know how the multiverse works. Mm. A part of their nature is, is apparently to travel to whatever worlds they have access. We've seen them working in different worlds at the same time. In the Vermont case uh, we're working on now, or the case in the King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, I worked on in 04. So wait, would you say that our, our early, earliest ancestors that knew of all this stuff, as you pointed out in other shows, would you say that after that time period, possession by parasites and or being bothered by them got more increased the more developed we got. I think that might be a point. Uh, I think that, and, and as we've said often in the beginning of, of the human race, apparently as far back as we can, can know, and, and again, I looked at uh, the oldest cultures that we know about, though, the Andaman Islanders, the Nicobar Islanders of the, the Indian Ocean uh, uh, Islands there, that area, the culture reaches back uh, 
easily 80, 90,000 years without a break. Uh, the Aborigines in Australia, 30 to 40,000 years. Uh, the, 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 the Khoisan and Khoisan Bushmen of Africa, 150,000 years of unbroken memory. They worshipped one God in the beginning. Yeah, you had spirits, you had different things, but there was a notion in our, and, and, and not, I'm not the only one who came to the, this conclusion. Uh, people doing archaeological work in the Middle East in the 1930s, said this may be hard to believe, but apparently people worshipped one god before they worshipped many gods. And I think parasites had a lot to do with it. Look at the, the Babylonians. You go back 8,000 years, maybe 10,000, and you come to this <coughs> civilization that sprang up, bingo, like out of nowhere in like a couple of years. And the analogy I often use, they were bean farmers one day and then lawyers and doctors you know, the following week. It was ridiculous. So would you and, say that the parasites inadvertently help them to what we are today? That raises a very interesting question. I don't know if I'd call it helped, but someone wrote in once... Influenced. Influenced, yeah. Um, well, I, I think... I don't know if it's that simple. I think there's a balance, because, because there, just as there are parasites out there, as you might say, there are also ourselves, our ancestors... Um, the the things that folklore referred to as angels, you know, good neighbors, so to speak, who also know about parasites and perhaps are victims of them and, and are in a position perhaps to help us in one way or another because they, they're more up on the multiverse and how it works than we are. Mm. And so there is a balance there. But the question arises, there, there does seem to be something unique about our species, about this planet and our species. Anybody who's involved in exopolitics, which you know, and, get, and, and I, don't, I, I reserve judgment on some of these business about you know extraterrestrials and the influence and all this business. Uh, I think a lot of it was these parasites or other incursions from other parts of the multiverse. Yeah. But the question is: Is it possible that the human race was deliberately bred, or engineered, or even if you want to say created by these influences? As cattle to feed the parasites, then that's a frightening concept to me. But yeah. the, there is—I hate to say—some evidence that that might be the case. But there is plenty of evidence that we can overcome that. Now, it's not like we're—you know—you're going to walk down through farm country and see the cows uh, protesting with signs. You know, you know, uh, we're, we're mistreated, and all we are is food. Occupy the pasture. But we, we have—we have an advantage over the cows. I think we have. Uh, a certain amount of consciousness and analytical ability and uh, a certain amount of unity, again, that they, that they wouldn't have. We also have posable thumbs and stuff like that that are real handy. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> good, good pun. But uh, I, it's just a matter of, uh, of, of uh, interpretation. So we probably will never find the answers to these questions. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just think the, the influences, uh, I mean, why do we, we're the only species that I know that, that creates huge funds and organizations to go out and help those who are starving. And uh, and if you want to put down the Catholic Church, well, remember, the Catholic Church goes out and heals the sick, takes care of, of, the, of, of the dying and, and the poor, mm. and that deserves some respect. It does. Uh, at the other, on the other hand, I mean, I was a trained military officer learning to kill people to go out and, and uh, commit mass murder on, on scales that have been unimaginable in ways that we just push a button today and we can't grasp the death of millions. We can grasp the, de the death of one or two. And so there are two opposite sides to what our species does. 
And it really make, makes you wonder about the influences. I can see why we might be fascinating to other species. But um, yeah, cause I don't know. I really can't answer your question. We're hypocrites in our own right. Well, no. We are capable of so many good things, so many wonderful things, so much love and kindness. But we're also capable of so much hatred and evil. Uh, you know, and just it one it makes you wonder about our origins and, and what went into us, the ingredients, so to speak. You know. So would you say that we were trained to look down on people who are quote um, uncivilized because they actually knew what was going on? We didn't. Yeah, I think in a way we have a lot of uh, intellectual arrogance. Yeah, but when you look at it today, uh, you know, when we're considering the issue of these parasites or or, or the folklore that went into it or whatever, when we look at it. We're the ones who stand alone in history. Uh, I think that a lot of the paranormal researchers today, including many of the eminent people we have on the show, are kind of funny in a way, in a humorous sense, because you know they're they're trying to prove things that everybody before us knew existed. And I long ago gave up trying to prove to science, quote-unquote, that ghosts exist, or that there's a, quote-unquote, afterlife, and this stuff. I, I was convinced a long time ago about these things. I want to know what it means and what the full implications are for our lives, our everyday lives, our spiritualities, the way we look at each other, the way, the way we treat ourselves, and the way we build our societies. Because there are tremendous implications in everything we talk about on this mm-hmm. show for everything about the human race. Yep. All things affect each other. Exactly. Yeah. So, um. No, I'll just raise the question you know, that, because, I, like, I, I, I. I don't know if I can answer the question. I just, there, there are, there are, it raises other questions. Yeah, because. Uh, All I, of which are disconcerting. Well, I raise it because it's like we, we look at the Aborigines and the Bushmen and all these other tribes that you mentioned, and it's like some, like most people that I, I would talk to maybe a few years ago would be like, oh, well, they don't know anything. They That's why they still live in huts and stuff. And it's like, well... <laughs> but they do. And I often... And, and this came up with uh, someone I'm considering having as a guest. The, the issue of what does it mean to be advanced? I'm always kind of amused by how uh, they'll be talking about uh, alien civilizations or the UFOs, if that's what they are, and all this business. And you have uh, the advancement is is in, in technology. They have all these gadgets. They, you know, they can fly from planet to planet or world to world, whatever it is they do. Yeah. And I said, to me, advancement consists in moral and spiritual advancement. I would much rather make friends with a civilization that lived in huts but, but had a higher form of consciousness, spiritually and morally, mm. Than some kind of UFO jockeys who just who, who might who might be you know moral and spiritual nitwits, but can fly from planet to planet. I mean, can you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. I don't know if I trust. I don't know if I trust our civilization. If I were look look what happened to the Native Americans, lied to, lied to, lied to. You know. Yeah. And uh, it, it, I don't know. I just don't. I, we just don't dev- define advancement in the same way other people do. So as far as uh, yeah, looking down, sure. Yeah, and it's not justified at all. These people have a wisdom and a maturity in their societies and cultures that we just we just don't have. Oh, we're just stupid and arrogant. Well, but we're it's not stupid. I mean, <laughs> why are we, why are we, why do we have shows like this if we're stupid? I mean, yeah, I like true. to think we're contributing something to human thought here. Yeah, and so are many many other people. We ask questions that need to be asked because our society has not answered them, whereas others have. Yeah. Well, the thing is, why? Why do we always deny the answers that are right in front of us? Well, because I think that 
something that's right in front of us is simple. We think in a complicated way. How many students of math and uh, I was just going to say yeah, math. You know, say, well, you know, I can't understand this. Or just, and then when you when you if you have a good teacher who really explains it, he says, "There all there is to it." Well, yeah. Oh, you know. Yeah, like my so, my physics teacher was like, "You guys just like to overcomplicate things." And yes. Yeah. Yes. We do that. Maybe it's and we needlessly yeah. complicate the world. We needlessly complicate our lives. You know, we don't. We never get any older than twelve emotionally in this society. Mm-hmm. You know, and we ruin our families. Our schools destroy knowledge. As I've said, our family, you know, our parents destroy families. Uh, our churches destroy faith. I'm, <laughs> Because we can't, that's what we do. We, we just do everything. We do yeah. everything backwards. We don't see the big picture. True. Anyway, I didn't mean this to be a lecture on philosophy. Yeah. But anyway, uh, if so we want to kind of get let's, back let's, yeah back, back back to the topic. No, for our, our, our last eleven minutes of the show. Um, we hear a lot. Uh, we we've been hearing a lot lately about the Vatican training more priests to be exorcists. So what's what's that all about, Ted? Well, uh, I've been. Surprised in recent years by some of the Vatican's behavior about this subject, uh, in particular, and about the paranormal in general. But I think there's much more that comes from the Vatican. That I think there's a lot of things that come from the Vatican that can't be taken at face value. Uh, I have several friends, all priests, who have worked or do work at the Vatican, and they're not talking outright, especially not to me. Uh, but from what I have heard unofficially, there are two reasons for what appears to be they're opening the door a crack on this subject. One, uh, since instruction in the paranormal is not part of normal priestly training, I mean, look what I had to go through to get it, uh, they might feel that more priests uh, should be educated about it simply to respond to the intense interest in the paranormal that characterizes society today. And that makes perfect sense to me, and I've been urging that for 40 years. I used to tell them, uh, you know, because there was a lot of paranoia after the Exorcist film came out, and that's when I was working on this. And, uh, oh, you know, clam right up. So, you know, if you just come out and say, just tell people, this is what we believe. This is what it is. This is where Hollywood got it wrong. And uh, don't worry about it. You know, it's it's under control, and et cetera, et cetera. Just, instead of they just clam up and didn't want to talk about it. They nailed people like me, who actually was studying under some pretty pretty good people. Anyway, you know, this is a long time ago. Uh, another reason they might be opening up about this is the possession, as they understand it, might be uh, becoming more common. Uh, that doesn't surprise me in the least. Many families are in chaos or simply have ceased to exist on all, on all economic levels. People have children by all sorts of other people, as if they were barn animals, uh, and the children come last. Even in some families that appear to be together, parents and children don't even know, let alone appreciate and love each other. Division, animosity, and chaos rings the dinner bell for parasites. And we've got to go going on on a global scale. On top of that, stupid television shows about the paranormal are, even if they don't mean to, enticing thousands of teens into experimenting with the occult, which usually means Ouija boards, uh, even so-called ghost hunting, which uh, so many people are approached as though it were stamp collecting or bird watching, uh, can be extraordinarily dangerous. If the Vatican notices an upsurge in possession or other forms of parasitical activity, such as oppression or obsession, I'm the last one to be surprised. So, uh, I don't know, I don't want to name any particular groups, but we occasionally have contact with... Um, Ghost hunting groups, just just out of a, a need to, uh, I think, to learn and maybe get to know what what they're doing, 
And I always notice, uh, not always, but in, in many occasions notice, maybe you have too, Ben, that you know, they dress in black. Sometimes they wear skulls on their... I mean, th- that that's not <clears throat> healthy. No, no. It's like... I, I don't want to say like it's an obsession with the occult. I don't I don't know how well, to put you know, it. Yeah, well, that might be it too. Or they look at it as a dark, dingy thing where it's like, ooh. Well, the websites have all the spooky music and all. That just know. unintentionally makes it really goofy. Well, it does. Well, I've had people point out how you know refreshing our website seems. We don't do that. You know, pretty matter of fact. I think you know, they are they are being redesigned, but they're not going to be redesigned with spooky music and silly skulls and everything else going on uh, in that particular situation. So uh, we have um, time, I think, for one or two message uh, emails here. And uh, let's see, this uh, this one is from Steve Durand. In uh, I wonder if we have a call coming in. Is that is that for us? Oh, okay, well. we'll Steve is going to have to wait in Boston. We'll take a call here. Hello, you're on Behind the Paranormal. Hey, how you doing? This is good. Uh, yeah, let me turn off the audio. There we are. Okay. What can we do for you, sir? So, uh, you know, you guys are talking about all this paranormal stuff. I just want to, uh, you know, chime in. You think sure. movies like, uh, you know, like that Devil Inside Me, you know, that's the newest one, and uh, like Paranormal Activity, this gets people all jazzed up and excited about this. Like how you were saying, uh, there's tons and tons of you know ghost hunting TV shows and stuff. And do you think this is anything that you think like you know uh, the clergy should be concerned about now that you know a, a large mass of teens and young adults are watching this and getting more involved? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll give Ben a chance on a second here. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's a matter of great concern. It's it's best not to dwell on these things. And to turn them into, you know, mass entertainment and, 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 and things like that, I think can be a mistake. Uh, they are facts. They do exist. They can teach us a great deal. But I'd, I'd say if people are going to be interested in the paranormal, that they should concentrate on the positive aspects of it. You know, m- much, much like we talk about on the show on many occasions, uh, Ben. Well, what bothers us, us together the most is that they present it as this thing that it's like bird watching where you can go out and do it as a hobby and it's like oh well everything's going to be fine or it ends up doing a lot more harm than good i mean when i first well when i when i first watched um paranormal activity i i watched it with my girlfriend and she was like freaking out the entire time i just sat there and it was it was more or less correct just with different terms like with our point of view of the paranormal but it just I, I got the feeling it tried to be like, oh, well, this is what happens when you do things the wrong way and when you don't get like people who know what they're doing to help. But then it, it inadvertently became a whole franchise where it's like, oh, look how scary this is. You guys should watch this and get into it. But it's it's just – it's not a healthy thing to get into. No, definitely not. Like mm-hmm. I feel like it went, it went from uh, where you know things like, such as exorcisms were you know, a serious thing and you know, very, really dangerous and now they're kind of looked on like – Oh, it's a joke, and you know, you know, it's not taken seriously anymore. Mm, it's no joke, I can assure you of that. All right, okay. all right. Well, well thanks th- for taking my call, guys. All right, thank you for the call. Thank you. Yep, yep, okay. Okay. Bye. All right. How much time we got there, Miss Producer? Uh, let's see, four minutes. Okay. Um, we, we have enough no, time for a, a short email. email. Yeah. This is a short question. Uh, some Steve Durand in Boston says we can use his name. Yes. Uh, very interesting show. Oh, you're supposed to read that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Very interesting show, Paul and Ben. I have never heard any approach like yours. 
It's so scary because it makes so much sense. Anyway, in the Bible, it talks about more than one demon at a time being able to possess somebody. Have you ever run into that? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid we have, not just in possession cases, but in poltergeist cases especially. They, they do seem to work in teams, if I can put it that way. They do seem to to have uh, organization and leaders. And I've even seen, I mean, they, these are intelligent creatures. And the trouble is, uh, you know, we, we use the, the analogy of hornets, bees, and mosquitoes. Well, yeah. hornets, mm-hmm. bees, and mosquitoes don't come into your house and learn about you and learn how to push your buttons. <laughs> yes, they're secretly assassins. Yet. Yeah. So, uh, but, but unfortunately, parasites can do that, and it's, it's rather disconcerting. Uh, they will learn in, in things about you in order to be mimics, as you know, we said. You know, it's interesting. The Native American spirit for trickery is actually a spider, which they hmm. they associate spiders where they can sit there and watch you and learn without you being without you noticing the spider. Interesting. But it always messes it always messes up at the end, and then you always know it's like oh, I got you that kind of thing. Yeah, well, some of the, some of the lo- the lore and lore entities will be you know, the trickster kind of thing, and again, folklore I think is based on uh, bringing these things in that. Um, uh, you know, with understanding them in a way we know how to understand them through folk. Yeah, putting them in terms yeah. we can understand. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, well, uh, so in other words, it's a big yes to that, Steve, unfortunately. And um, uh, I, if you look at the Bible, the uh, Gerasene demoniac had uh, legion. Oh, yeah. uh, was the, Jesus asked the name of the, of the entity and said, there, well, there are many of us, and he cast them into the herd of pigs and they ran down into the sea of galilee and drowned themselves and ben made the comment i wonder what the farmer thought yeah but uh anyway uh that isn't dealt with in the gospel destroying so yeah i have run into that one pig at a time yeah exactly uh okay so i guess uh, that's pretty much all the time we have we wanted to encourage you to check our website behind the paranormal.com past guests future guests uh lots and lots and lots of podcasts all free over 300 you can buy my books Hope you do. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter, which we're still kind of working on getting back up again, and uh, all sorts of um, of things uh, to do there on that site. So many thanks to our producer, Denise Richards, and we will see you next Monday, February 6th, right here on WON, 1240 AM, and And Ben and I will do an uh, open line show to deal with more of those ever-monthing emails, uh, hopefully on more subjects than exorcism. Yeah, a big stack. I'm sitting right here. So on our regular CBS edition on Sunday, February 4th in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, we'll welcome back author and UFO expert Peter Robbins for a look at the groundbreaking work of Bud Hopkins, the late expert on alien abductions. And we'll leave you this evening with a quick quote from that lovable old Irish poet and playwright George Bernard Shaw. Quote, we learn from experience that men never learn anything from experience. Unquote. And with that very witty ending, thank you for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.